You're listening to Tabletop Arcanum, a podcast dedicated to learning and exploring the hobby of tabletop gaming. Your hosts are Justin Taylor and Richard Geese, so sit back and relax as we talk, discuss, and joke our way through the hobby we love so much. Welcome to Tabletop Arcanum. This is Justin, and Ricky is not joining me right now. But we have bringing you a special treat, and once again I must apologize that we are not going to be reviewing Point Salad just quite yet, but we had the chance to talk to John DeClaire and Mark Wooten from AEG about their brand new game, Dead Reckoning. So enjoy and take a listen. Hi and welcome to Tabletop Arcanum. I appreciate both of you guys joining us today. Uh, why don't you introduce yourselves? Uh, I'm I'm John Clare. I've been designing games. Well, I guess I've been designing games since I was a kid, but I've been designing games professionally for several years. Um, I work almost exclusively, though not by definition exclusively, with AEG. I've designed a variety of games, probably best known for coming up with the card crafting system, which is in the game we'll be talking about today, Dead Reckoning, and also probably in the most in the more in the game that I'm best known for, which would be Mystic Veil. And I'm Mark Wooten. I do design and development work with AEG, predominantly development work. I've done a little bit of design. I was involved in Doomtown, uh, which people may know. And uh, I've been the developer on several games, uh, several of John's games, but most recently on Dead Reckoning. One thing that we always like to talk to our guests is uh, what games have you guys been playing lately? We can start again with John. So I've actually been playing a bunch of uh, Shards mm-hmm. of Infinity because uh, I like that game and I actually hadn't brought it out with my wife yet, um, but we, we did recently along with my uh, sister-in-law and we've been playing it a bunch. Other than that, of course, I play a lot of prototypes, lots of still dead reckoning lately as I crank through the, the final tweaks and stuff. Excellent. And what about you, Mark? Like John, I obviously play a lot of prototype games. Uh, Dead Reckoning recently. Uh, I've been back and replayed uh, Mariposas, which is the Elizabeth Hargrave, Hargrave game that we're releasing. In this small sort of bubble during lockdown that includes uh, my family and one other family, we have got a lot of value out of Gloomhaven. The uh, three of us sitting down playing through endless, endless <laughs> Gloomhaven um, scenarios. It's uh, it's pretty good value when you've got a small group of uh, a small group of people to play repeat games with over a over a period of time like the lockdown so that's that's been quite a helpful uh, uh release during uh, during these difficult times i actually have uh, the reverse option of that uh my gloomhaven game broke apart because of lockdown oh boy because <laughs> it's like okay all of us are not like close family so it's like okay now we just gotta not do it and Every once in a while, like, okay, is it is it safe to come out and play again? Right. No, not really. Okay. <laughs> we'll check back in a month or two. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's good timing for us. It just yeah. happened that you know, the three of us were available and, and we got it in right at that time. So Not a shortage amount of gameplay in there to uh, chew on. So. Well, we're, we're still going. We're not completely out of the woods yet with the, uh, you know, with the social distancing stuff, but mm-hmm. I think it was a good way to get through, right? Yeah, since we're uh, going to be talking about Dead Reckoning today, uh, who is your favorite pirate, fictional, non-fictional? Any will do. I got to go with Captain Barbosa. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, Jack Sparrow's Jack Sparrow's great and all, but Captain Barbosa, he's uh, that guy. 
what Jeffrey Rush, right? I think he was the he was the perfect casting for that role. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Rush is awesome in everything. Yeah, in, yeah. in everything he's done, <laughs> right. he is amazing. Um, I, th- I think. Listen, Pirates of the Caribbean is is the obvious choice. And if I was going to pick one of my favourite pirates from the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, it's uh, it's Keith Richard as uh, Jack Sparrow's dad. Mm. Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I just think he's hilarious. But of course, I, I couldn't not mention the Red Pirate Robert, right? Right, of course. Um, which is the other which is the other great movie that I really enjoy with Pirates. Wesley, <laughs> as you wish. Yeah. So let's dive a little bit into probably a little bit more on John's side of things with the card crafting mechanic and, and kind of your uh, designer legacy, it seems. Uh, how would you uh, describe your, your card crafting mechanic? The broad definition I give it, card crafting is a way in which cards that are used in the game can maintain all the properties of being a card. For example, they can get shuffled or drafted or discarded or placed face down or face up, right? Everything you could do with a card in a card game is retained while also being able to modify that card physically so that it changes in some meaningful gameplay way uh, while still functioning in all the ways of being a card. Um, that's my broad definition of it. Functionally, how I've done it, I've done it several ways, but functionally, what people most people think of it as is the use of card sleeves along with uh, transparent card so that you sleeve all of the starting cards at the beginning of the game card and the way the cards get modified is by sleeving cards that are mostly transparent but with some part of them having information on them which then overlays together and multiple of those can form into one single card with varying powers right and as those advancements get sleeved and unsleeved the card powers can change and since it's all contained in one sleeve that card, while changing, can function like a card in any given way. Very cool. So how has that card crafting mechanic changed and evolved from like starting with Mystic Veil to Edge of Darkness and now uh, Dead Reckoning? The idea occurred to me way back in, I want to say 2013, the first idea for card crafting. Edge of Darkness was actually my first take at it, though um, Edge of Darkness changed a lot during the design process. It started with cards that were one-sided and you sleeved advancements on them. And then that design actually evolved into using the advancements as double-sided advancements. So you would actually modify both the front and the back of the card when you sleeved something. And in Edge of Darkness in particular, the back side of the cards represent the threats that players are dealing with. And the front side represents your ability and actions to deal with those threats and do other things. The card crafting idea started with the idea of using transparent things in sleeves. And it actually, the, the core inspiration for it was, I was trying to think of game components and ways in which particular components had never been used before. And when I landed on card sleeves, I couldn't think of any games that actually required the use of card sleeves in order to work. From there, I considered, well, what would a game look like if it actually used card sleeves as a functional, meaningful component in the game, as opposed to just a way to protect your cards? And that's where the card crafting idea sort of developed from. It first came out in Mystic Veil, though again, like I said, I actually first started designing Edge of Darkness. And in Mystic Veil, cards are just, they're one-sided. You sleeve up to three advancements onto one card to give it various, up to three different powers, which ideally combo in some way. In Edge of Darkness, the cards are the advancements you sleeve are double-sided. Like I said, you're you're powering up both the both the bad guy side of the cards and the good guy side of the cards at the same time. In Dead Reckoning, it has the Mystic Veil three advancements things that you can sleeve on, 
but it also has a the, what I what I'm calling the, like a card leveling system, which actually came up with originally for a different game. There's a number of things in the Dead Reckoning game that I kind of let's say pirated over from other designs of mine <laughs> that I was working on. So I was working on a sort of collectible card game idea that had cards with four different abilities sleeved into the card at the start, uh, and throughout the course of the game, the cards would level up uh, going through the four different power levels of the card. And I, and I ended up sort of porting that over to Dead Reckoning as a way to infuse all of the basic core game systems into someone's starting deck. So it gives players, uh, players don't have the time to do everything, but they have the option to do everything, even if the right advancements don't come out because their deck is infused with that stuff. And then of course they can, whatever approach they use with their core deck can be embellished by what advancements they pick up. Um, but that card leveling system was sort of the latest iteration of what I've done with the card drafting. And then I, I skipped Custom Heroes. And Custom Heroes, it's very much the same as Mystic Veil. You sleep things, and they overlay on, on top on one-sided cards. Uh, but in that game, we decided to do a little bit more with the art. So the art itself actually layers. So not only are you adding game meaningful game statistics or, or uh, abilities onto cards, but you're also sort of modifying the art on the card as you go. Um, a lot of people have asked or, or said, like, why don't why don't all the card crafting games do that where the art layers and stuff? And it's actually very restrictive to try to do art uh, that layers appropriately all the time in card crafting. There's several restrictions that, that have just stopped us from from doing that as much. Um, it, one, the art has so in custom heroes, all of your all these different heroes and they're posed in a specific way. Um, and when you sleeve stuff on them, it looks like they like gained a new item in one of their hands and they're holding a sword or they're holding a torch or they're holding a baseball bat. Um, but the restriction there is all of your characters have to have two hands and they have to be in the same spot always mm. in the picture, right? So it's very limiting on your art because um, otherwise you're sleeving a sword into like floating space, right? Um, if the character behind it isn't positioned right. Anyway, not to go off <laughs> on a total tangent there, but that's the history of card crafting so far. And uh, do you have any future plans to push that to another level, or is that still? Are you still working on your current setup? Uh, there's a lot of design space for card crafting that's still untapped. Not just both in the physics of it and how it's done. Um, I think there's still ways to do it. There, there's ways to do card crafting that don't involve sleeves, even right. Mm -hmm. um, that I haven't gone down because sleeves work particularly well. There's also just other game space that card crafting can fit in right one of the ideas i'd worked on before and i haven't got the game to click yet but it's still a potential idea is actually a game where it played in two phases uh, in the first round you're drafting cards um, and from your hand of cards you actually unsleeve an advancement um, and then pass the hand and you end up with this tableau of unsleeved advancements and then in the second round of the game the cards go around and you resleeve them um, so the game actually starts and ends with all the cards sleeved but during the game, the, sleeve, the advancements are sort of shuffling around the cards, ideally in a way that benefits your strategy. It hasn't clicked yet, but like that's another sort of approach to a, a game system that could use it. Very cool. Very cool. We're going to jump over to Dead Reckoning itself. Um, so what exactly, how exactly would you describe uh, Dead Reckoning? It's a strategy game first and foremost, with card crafting as the engine or the mechanism that, that develops that strategy. We've, we've sort of described it partly as a 4X game and partly as a sandbox style game. It's 4X insofar as there is exploration and there is player interaction. There is no player elimination in Dead Reckoning, like, like a lot of traditional 4X games. But it's very much a game, a strategy game, where you have the opportunity 
to undertake different approaches towards the victory condition. Um, thematically, the way we would probably describe that would be you can be a pirate. You can simply be the scourge of the seas. You can arm your ship. You can attack other players. You can attack merchant ships that crop up from time to time around the various islands. You can take more of a privateering strategy where you look to spread influence throughout the islands and back that up with a strong military presence or a strong military component to your ship. Your ship's able to fight and take care of itself. You can take an exploration strategy. So you can look at the opportunity to make your ship more effective at sailing, uh, discovery, and later in the game benefit from your ability to travel further than other players, get better advancements deeper into the deeper into the ocean and, and, and pull away using that strategy. And then probably fourthly, I would say you could use it, what we would describe as a mercantile strategy, where you're looking to set up on one or two key islands and get the most benefit from those islands in, in a merchanting-style uh, merchanting approach. And, and actually, you can do sort of combinations of those. You don't have to focus on one specific strategy. The, the way the game plays out, the, the leveling up of the crew, the sailor cards that John spoke about, is very, is very critical in the decision-making points in terms of different ways of approaching the game. So your gunners are obviously very useful if you're planning to be able to defend yourself or to attack other players. Your deckhands are very important if you're planning on doing a lot of sailing and so on. I would say it's a, it's a sandbox game that's high on strategy with an engine that is based around the card crafting system. Awesome. Uh, anything you would add on to that, John? Yeah, I would add the, the one thing that I'm particularly uh, proud about with this design is the, the layers of depth to the skill in the game. So... Um, as Mark described, there's different uh, there's different routes players can go for their strategy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but when you get when you get good at the game, it's not the, none of those strategies is dominant, and none of those and the best approach to 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 a strategy in the game is not to necessarily choose one of those options and then plow through it and do nothing but that. Um, very much the game is about um, adapting to the advancements that you're able to grab that, that are allowed on the board and the and the island configuration out on the board and the approaches your opponents are taking. Um, all of those factors players should be factoring into their strategy when you get to when you get to a higher level um, of skill at the game. All of those four different sort of uh, tactical approaches that Mark talked about all manifest as you get better at the game into continual decisions throughout the game, as opposed to just a route you choose when you start the game. You're always like adjusting to what other people are doing, what the board state is, what advancements you've so far picked up. And that level of depth um, um, I'm, is something I'm particularly proud about with this design. You guys talked a lot about the, the strategy avenues that players have available to you. So how is Dead Reckoning standing apart from other 4X games? I think, so a lot of people, when they think of 4X, they think of Twilight Imperium or... Uh, eclipse right um or like a civilization type game where there's a map and you have dudes on the map and you're taking territories and then your your, your armies fight or your ships fight or something right um dead reckoning if that's what you think of 4x is then you're not going to think dead reckoning is a 4x dead reckoning is a 4x in the sense that it hits the four x's right you are exploring this ocean that has been uh, unexplored in the past um, and you're uncovering tiles um, and discovering new islands and new advancements. You are battling other people. You're getting into conflicts with other players, both fighting their ships and fighting the camps that they dropped on those islands in order to 
pick up uh, in order to control those islands. So players will drop influence, which is like you're dropping a couple guys off your ship to make a camp on the spot to see if they can forage for goods or find treasure on the island, right? And then players are competing for influence on that island, uh, both for the the value that they can get out of it during the game and the end game points. So it, it kind of hits all the four X's, but in a way that's different because everything you do is driven by your ship moving around the board. Whereas I think a lot of people think of a 4X as you have an empire that's gradually expanding. And I'll, I'll toss the second half of that question over to Mark. How do you feel, as a, like from a developer standpoint, that this is using the card crafting system differently from the others? I, I, well, I think that differs from game to, game to game. I think the first thing that is different about the card crafting in this game is the thing that John raised earlier on, which is the leveling up of the crew. You have a fixed resource within the sleeve from the start of the game, which you can always choose to level up or do something with. So you're not entirely reliant on the advancements. Most of the most of the focus of card crafting previously has been the advancement. I think John may disagree with me. He's a better player at Dead Reckoning than I am by quite some measure. It pains me to admit that, but he is. But I think I, I think in this game. The, the way you choose to level up those crew is as significant as the advancements you choose to put on crew and which crew you, which, sorry, sailors, not crew, and um, which sailors you choose to put those on. Uh, I, I think that is something that is different to the other card crafting games. I think the other card crafting games as well, I mean, certainly Mystic Veil and um, Custom Heroes are both games where the, the cards are the game. Okay, Mystic Veil has a push-your-luck element. Obviously, Custom Heroes has a trick-taking element. This, the, the way it's used in Dead Reckoning is perhaps slightly more similar to Edge of Darkness, but it's, it's very much the engine that drives the game. You have this group, group of almost like raw recruits that are your sailor cards. Um, that is going to be the whole engine that drives the strategy. But actually, most of what you're doing in terms of gaining victory points and winning the game is out there on the board. As John said, you're looking to control islands. You're looking to battle with other ships. You're looking to construct uh, buildings. You're, you're looking, to, looking to gain treasure or, or spend cargo for victory points. The, the victory conditions themselves are, are predominantly out there on the board. And the card crafting is really just the engine that drives that. Uh, so what was it like having uh, Ian O'Toole as the artist on board for this this project? Fantastic. <laughs> in, in a word, right? It's, um, I mean, I can probably speak to this because as a, as a developer, uh, you're obviously working with with a bunch of other talent around you. Obviously, always you've always got the designer. Um, you usually have a graphic designer and an artist or an art director and a bunch of artists uh, there's a whole there's a whole group of people that get involved in making a game but i think for me this has been unique i'd, I'd be interested to hear john's take on it but the 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 way we approached this from very early on was a was a collaborative approach ian is not just the artist on this he's also the graphic designer and ian is a is an avid gamer as well so very early on in the process when we we, we decided ian was going to be part of the team we, we made a commitment that three of us would, would meet on a regular basis, regular weekly basis, to go through ideas. He got a, a very early 
prototype copy of the game and actually sat down and played it. So he worked his way through the ergonomics of what the table's going to look like and how the cards needed to feel in terms of in terms of the visuals and the look and the use of them. The three of us went through everything together. So it was very much a, a team approach. And, and having Ian on that team has been a, a, a huge asset. Different designers, I, I speak as a, from the development side here, different designers take different roles in, in the way they, they interact with the game once it's in development. John always has a, a strong feel for, for how he wants the game to look as well as how he wants it to play. Some designers are more more keen on that. Some are more keen on the mechanics. John tends to John tends to to be interested in both. I think that having Ian on and the role he's played in guiding us and making that vision even better and even stronger has been absolutely amazing. And um, I, I think it's it's been great. The, the three of us working together as a team to try and get the best out of every single aspect of the game. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, John, or whether you think that's a fair summary. I don't want to reiterate what Mark said, but I agree with all of it. Ian has been phenomenal to work with. Not only is he extremely good at what he does in terms of the quality of his art and the fact that it it, it has a very stylized Ian O'Toole look that is, that's just like evocative and rich. <laughs> Um, uh, I didn't 100% know what what direction I wanted to go with the art until I started seeing Ian O'Toole stuff, and I was like, "This is this is this is perfect. This is what I want." I, yeah, Ian Ian has a good, a really great grasp of what's going to look good. I think that's uh, yeah. I think that's something about people who are really good at this, right? You 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 have a vague idea, or you you know you want it to look great, but you can't articulate that. And, and yeah, every, I think, yeah. I think our, Ian, Ian would say, oh, well, I think you probably want to do this. We'd go, oh, yeah, that's what we want to do, right? Yeah, it's funny, actually. We we gave him, and I, it was probably not the best directions um, for an initial box art. Um, and we got art that we, we thought was a good piece of art, but we didn't like it for the box initially. Uh, and part of that was, I think... We had some specific, you know, things that we said to him that um, he he did do, and then we and we're like, actually, we don't really love that as much. So then we went with a much more vague. What we want the box to look like is like a movie poster of a of a pirate or a high seas movie, a swashbuckling movie, right? Yeah. And just make it look awesome, right? Like um, make it feel like you're in the Caribbean and you're a badass dude on a ship, right? And like it should hit the key points, like there should be a ship on the cover somewhere, right? Um, and but like that, like just make it look like a movie poster and make it awesome. And, and then he came back with, I mean, I think I I, I love the box in this game. I think the box yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, I think the lesson we learned early was don't don't overdirect this. Just tell him just tell him how we want to feel at the end of it, and he'll he'll create it as opposed to giving him very specific. Well, we think it should have this, or maybe this, or maybe this. Because actually, his uh, his creative process was able, then I think, to deliver much more effectively. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember when I uh, saw Dead Reckoning, I saw the box, and it, it did come across not only as like a movie post, but it kind of called back to me as like the like an old Errol Flynn movie potential. Like if it was a modern day Errol Flynn movie, that could be what I see. It's interesting that you guys have to give them, you know, different people to take direction differently. Like if you give someone specifics, like you're going to get good product out of them. It sounds like you guys came up with an awesome working relationship with Ian to, okay, give him the give him the general, and he'll come up with something awesome. Hmm. I, I think the other thing that's, that, that, that I should say um, for working with both Ian and John is it's a very ego-free environment. 
it, it's it's what's really good i think is when you can work collaboratively together as a group and people have opinions uh, sometimes strong opinions but everybody is simply working to try and get the best you know if you like an idea or if you don't like an idea you you talk about it because everybody's simply trying to make make the final product the best they can make it and working with both ian and john on this i think i think that's been that's been very true and uh, has been part of the secret sauce that has made this such a good product my next question for you guys then is what would be the part of dead reckoning that you're most excited for players general players to to experience what's like that magic moment that you want to have people see um so i think i, I touched on it earlier i would say it's the the depth of experience and strategy so the experience a lot of people have i think is they get through their first game and they realize just how much of the game they haven't yet touched um in terms of strategy right many times people will play their first game and they won't even they won't even build a, a building on an island they won't have level they won't have upgrade they won't have put any ship upgrades on their ship other times they will they'll have never gotten out to row four which in the game is the, the islands are broken down into four rows and the advancements get more and more powerful the further out you get so there's a depth of discovery and strategy. And once you've discovered it all, you can never do all of it in one game, right? And every game, it's about adjusting to the situation. There's a there's a depth there that I think uh, that I'm really excited for people to uh, get to enjoy. I think I I think I agree with John. I'm going to add one thing. I'm going to add one thing in there though, and this isn't this isn't really the base game, but it is something about the game that I love is the saga expansion approach that we've adopted which is the way to add new content to the game. And it is done through a sort of narrative format, a, a story format, where the, the game content um, is filtered into the game organically through a narrative. I've said this to John a number of times when we were, we were, we were playtesting and I, I was down in California playtesting with him. One of my problems in inverted commas was that um, I would often get so wrapped up in the narrative that I, f I forgot about actually trying to play the game to win. That would that would happen to me frequently. And I really, really enjoy the way we have introduced the additional content in this game. And I'm really excited to see how people how people interact with that. And, and so I, I think I agree with John that, that about the favorite part of the game. I, I, I think, you know, for, Basically, this is a strategy game, but the, the saga content adds a narrative element to the way that you discover new strategies and new possibilities that for me is really exciting, really exciting. Yeah, I'm excited for how people are going to respond to, to see responses to the saga stuff. It was a it's a really weird expansion approach and and also arguably a risky strat, uh, expansion approach. You know, we, we first designed a game that we really liked, a strategy game on its own, Dead Reckoning, right? Um, and then we decided what we wanted to do with the expansions. I like the Saga approach and it was we it's weird and different. It was more work than a normal expansion, right? Because not only do you have to come up with new content that is interesting and different, um, but you also have to come up with the way in which people discover it. Uh, and then just from a marketing standpoint, it's always weird to tell people, trust us, this stuff's cool, but we're not going to tell you anything about it. So that's like always a little, a little of a risky approach there. It doesn't just add the saga stuff doesn't just add new content. It adds a new system to the game of discovery, 
Um, and it, and while the base game, I think, feels thematic, it's very much a strategy game uh, at its core. And the things you're doing in the game largely feel appropriate to the, to the theme. But the saga stuff really fleshes out the world and the lore of the world and makes the game feel fuller, I think. I think John, John referred to the risk, uh, which is absolutely there, because to an extent you are telling people, you, you, we, we're telling people what's in there, but we're not really giving them any full detail on that. I think the two things to me that made it feel like it's worth doing it that way. <clears throat> First of all, when I was early on testing the, the, the Saga content, playtesting the Saga content with my group, obviously because, I can't give too much away, but because of the way you discover it, you can go multiple sessions without discovering some of the, the, the narrative that's, that's happening. And, and we came to a point where John and I needed to go over the files. And, and I actually said to him, I don't, I don't want to do this because there's stuff I haven't discovered yet. And, and I've, I've got this one thing that had become a little bit of a running joke with us because I couldn't discover the next stage. Every, everybody else had discovered their, the next stages of the various things that they, they uncovered. And I got this, this one thing which had gone on for like three or four games. And uh, in, in the end, uh, of course, I had to acquiesce because we, we, we had to get on with the project. Um, but I really didn't want to discover what the, the, the next part of my narrative was. Without, uh, without actually playing through it. Yeah. Without actually playing through it. And even more recently, we, had, we tested the, the saga stuff again uh, through, uh, through a campaign-style game. John, John did this with a, a local group in LA, and... Um, at the end of it, after they they, they played, played through their campaign, they said, uh, John said to them, right, okay, that's the campaign, that's that's great. Now, do you want me to tell you what happens in the saga? For the, there, was some, there was some number of stuff they hadn't yet uncovered. They hadn't yet discovered over the course of those games. Uh, because that's the way the saga works, right? It can it, it can take a number of games to discover it all. And, and they universally said, no, we don't want to do that. We will wait until the game is released in 12 months' time, uh, whatever the release date is, which I can't remember off the top of my head, 11 months time, we'd rather wait and go back and do it again and actually discover it for ourselves. I think that's a very strong um, endorsement for a game that is predominantly a game that's designed to be a good strategy game. Uh, I mean, this is not, this is not a legacy game. A saga is not a, a legacy contents style approach. Nor, nor, nor I'll add, is it a campaign game, though there is a campaign option included. Yeah, there is a, yeah, uh, but you do not have to play the saga stuff as a campaign. Yeah. You can play it casually with different groups each game and gradually discover the stuff. There is a campaign option included. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but our original intention was to set out to make a really good strategy game, which we did. Um, but the fact that people who are sitting down to play a really good strategy game can get so wrapped up in this narrative and so wrapped up in the way that you explore the narrative, I think is, you know, it made that risk of saying to people, we don't want to spoil this because we think you'll enjoy this. I think it made it worthwhile. Awesome. I'm very glad both of you touched on, like, because I was going to follow up, like, okay, is this more legacy style, more campaign style? And it sounds like it's neither. elements it's... of either, but not yeah. either one of them at the same it's time. It's neither. It's sort of like a new thing. Awesome. Uh, I want to say, I want to say, um, Alexander Fister's done something similar with a couple of his designs. I think, like Maricabo, sort of. Though I think that's a little bit more linearly scripted. Mm -hmm. Dead Reckoning, the sagas for Dead Reckoning are very much just sort of. You play a normal game of Dead Reckoning, and and v via playing the game, you run into certain encounters that cause you to find content 
in this like in the secret box right, uh, right. A, a box with hidden content so via playing the game you do something in the game that causes this new content to come out and maybe an, um, a new advancement that you discover and you get for this game but then now that it's been added to the game in future games it just shuffles into the decks with the rest of the advancements so as you play over the course of some number of games the content in your game just kind of organically expands it's one of those things where it's neither it's neither a campaign or legacy game, but it has some elements of both, and I think it, it, it takes some of the good elements of both. We just went over the game itself. Who would you recommend the game for? Is there a target audience that you're looking for, or heavy gamers, light gamers? Or if you liked this, you may want to check out Dead Reckoning. Mm -hmm. People who like crunchy strategy, step one. If you if you if you don't like games with a good amount of crunch to them. This one's got a decent amount. People who like engine builders are going to like this game, I think. It is an engine builder at its core. Uh, I think a lot of people forget that it's an engine building game because it's got this map and you're moving around in your ship and it feels very sandboxy. But you are, at, at its core, and especially when you get good at the game, you realize how important this is. You're building a deck and that deck does everything that you do. Right, Everything you do is driven by how good that deck is, largely. Um, it's an it's an engine builder driving a area control experience. So uh, people who really like engine building, I would say uh, in a crunchy uh, in a crunchy sort of other ex uh, space for the game are going to like it. Um, I think people who like I think this game is going to appeal to people who like Scythe as an example game. Um, I'm a big Scythe fan. Definitely was inspired for the uh, achievement system in this game from Scythe. Uh, but it has some some similar feelings to that in that it's some people have described it as a sort of a Euro-y type of strategic space to be in, but with the uh, the theme and the conflict or the tension conflict of a uh, sort of a Marathrash type of experience. Yeah, in terms of games that we've done, I mean, my my feeling, um, again, I also uh, worked on and really loved Thunderstone. Um, I, I think people who played Thunderstone will really enjoy Dead Reckoning because, as John said, they will recognize the engine building. You know, the, the other elements that are added onto that, um, it's it's different in Dead Reckoning, but I think if you if you like Thunderstone Quest or Thunderstone-based uh, game, you will like Dead Reckoning. I think people who like Edge of Darkness will like Dead Reckoning. And people who like the card crafting, it's it's a different... It has, a, it has quite a different feel to Edge of Darkness, actually. I'm surprised how different it feels, but I think... I, I, I think if you like that game, you, you will you will like Dead Reckoning, but it, but it has a has a different feel to it. But and, and as John said, Scythe as well is is another obvious one. But if you like Scythe, I think you will like this game. I really enjoy Scythe. So awesome! I, whenever I teach Scythe, I always have to caution like this is an engine building game with achievements. <laughs> uh, it looks like a war game, but really isn't. <laughs> yeah, right. Because like that's at its at its core, it's a Euro style engine building game that happens right. to look like an area control game <laughs> yep so awesome let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about the campaign which is currently going on for you guys now you're at the tail end of it and the the goal markers in sight you guys have already funded um so now it's all gravy right <laughs> well you keep working hard right it's uh and you don't want to sit back and relax on it. Um, yes, we, we funded in the first fifteen minutes. Uh, to be fair, yeah. but I, I, I think we 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 have the campaign has gone phenomenally well. I mean, we're very very pleased with it. It's uh, it's been a it's been a successful campaign. We've enjoyed running it. 
we were very we were very happy that the overwhelming response that we got from day one was very positive from the majority of backers. You know, saying a lot of nice things about the game. Um, we, we we'd t- taken the time to to get copies out to reviewers early. Not really sure how that would pan out. Of course, in the in the uh, in the current climate that everybody's operating in, um, but uh, you know, a lot of people were able to play the game with their families or or you know with their particular sort of lockdown group. And um, early on, the game got an overwhelmingly positive response from from, from all of those reviews. So all of those things have really contributed to to, to making this a, a very successful campaign for us. We um, we took the view that we would simply do the campaign on the basis of having daily reveals. Um, we didn't put the traditional stretch goals in there. Um, you know, we've we've said this in the in the in the campaign uh, comments as well that that you know in, in a lot of cases stretch goals are are, are pre-planned anyway, and and I think a lot of people know that. And and you know, I, I, I'm a great I'm a great believer in that. You know, if you if you ask me. You know, would I would I rather back a Kickstarter of a company that's thought about all the the stretch goals and how they're going to pay for them at the start of the project and and know that they're almost certainly going to be adding them um, over somebody who's going on the fly and trying to add extra content and may end up you know with a product they can't afford to produce? I would rather take the former than the latter. And I think a lot of people who back Kickstarters now know know that that's that's the way things have been going on. And so we we took the view that we wanted to. Um, take people on a narrative with the daily discovery. So we, you know, Luke Peter Smith, who's been running our Kickstarter, did a did a great job of telling the little story of this journey that he's been making throughout the the, the campaign as the as a as a crew member on a ship, and uh, you know that ship has stopped at various places, which has been the opportunity to explain uh, something that we've revealed that day, and and that may simply be that we've we've revealed an, an ocean board or we've revealed an advancement that's allowed us to just just lightly touch on the way the game plays or some aspect of the game. So we 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 took a uh, we, we we took this uh, daily reveal approach um, and I think that's been very popular with a lot of people. And uh, and as we get to the end, uh, we are in fact today as we as we speak be doing our sort of uh, one of our big reveals for the campaign. I'm sure people will get excited and interested by that but uh, we're very very pleased with the campaign and uh, we're very very pleased with the response to the campaign it's been absolutely fantastic awesome so the you actually kind of answered the the, the question there mark uh, so the not that necessarily they're not pre-planned in general anyway but like instead of the stretch goals and like okay we have all the content we're not going to unlock things we're just going to reveal it um that was a slightly different approach than um the edge of darkness campaign so, like, AEG's been doing um, these big Kickstarter campaigns. So, this was, was this the new approach that AEG wanted to take with a Kickstarter campaign? Like, okay, let's just do a journey opposed to uh, the old traditional way. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was, it was absolutely, that was, the, that was the positive choice that Luke made. And um, I, th- I think it's worked well. I think our Kickstarter campaign was planned and run by Luke Petersmith, who I think has done a fantastic job of running that campaign. And uh, yeah, Luke took the view that he wanted to go down this daily reveal approach. And uh, I, think, I think for the most part, people have, people have enjoyed that and appreciated it. And it's allowed us to be, to be quite clear that, 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 you know, the things that, we were, we were putting into the game were things that we planned to put into the game. I mean, we're again towards the end of the, the campaign. What would you say is the most exciting moment during the campaign for either of you? 
Well, the most exciting moment was the launch so far. You know, it was a good, it was a good launch. It, it, you always go into these campaigns. I've now been part of three for a new game and you always go into the first day kind of with your highest hopes, your worst fears and a big range in between. Right. Uh, and this one was, was closer to the high end um, of where I was hoping we would be after day one. So um, that was good. I mean, it, it meant that our feelings that uh, the initial look and the pitch for the type of game it was, was speaking to people um, and that they were interested. Some of the initial reviews we'd gotten out had reached people. We'd have, we've had, we've had virtually universally positive responses from people who have played it um, in terms of reviewers and previewers. So, uh, you know, that was just a, it was a relief and a, and a, and a good, a good day. My friends ask me, you know, how the campaign is going. And I tell them, you know, how, where, where we're at and, you know, I get to keep all of it. So, no, but it was right, it's good. you know nobody takes any cut from the right. right. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, listen. I think John's right. I, I think there's been a few exciting points. I, from from the point of view of the the, the creators of the game. I don't think there is anything that can quite rival that combination of hope, expectation, excitement, and sheer terror yeah. of, of the few days before you launch a big Kickstarter. I mean, John and I have put a significant amount of time, work, and effort into this product, as has Ian, as has Luke Petersmith, Vlad, and Todd, who are all part of the, 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 the team that have been running the, the marketing, help running the Kickstarter. You know all the other developers and and other people. Uh, Ag, uh, you know Dave Lepore, the production manager, has sunk a bunch of time into it. You, and, and, and we believe we have a fantastic game. You go in believing you have a fantastic game, and the closer you get to the moment at the start of the Kickstarter, the more it's not that you start not thinking you have a fantastic game. You just get more and more worried about whether everybody else is going to agree with you or not. It's it's exhilarating and exciting. Um, so it, it's it's very very difficult from a creative perspective to say that there's anything more exciting than that. From a from a from a customer perspective, I don't. It, it's difficult to know, right? It's difficult to know what um, what your customers perceive as the most exciting thing. I think often, I think often the close to a campaign uh, can be quite exciting. The last three days, obviously, Kickstarter has this rhythm where. The first two or three days, um, th th there's a lot of people excited and jumping on board early. Um, you then have a whole bunch of people who who basically just wait and see, and and the the, the middle part of the campaign is is quite slow. Now, I, I have to say that Dead Reckoning has not been slow during the middle parts of the campaign. Dead Reckoning has been. Uh, one of the most successful, not one of it has been the most successful middle campaign. That, that we've ever run on Kickstarter. So at the moment, I'm getting very excited to see what that means for the last three days. Does that mean the last three days are going to be even more exciting? Does that mean we've been picking up a bunch of people in the middle of the campaign that we would have maybe picked up at the end? Um, nobody knows. But I think I think if you've backed a campaign uh, and you see how well it does towards the end, I think everybody, I think one of the, one of the fun parts of Kickstarter is almost like everybody feels that they're, they're part of, of the achievement at the end. 
um, which is which is a great thing for Kickstarter. I mean, I know the Kickstarter campaigns that I've been involved in. I I I had that sense, right? I was I was interested to see where they ended because I I felt some sort of ownership, and I guess I did have a very small small percentage of the ownership of those various campaigns. But yes, there's certainly that. Where is this going to end? This is exciting. It's nice to have been part of this thing and 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 to see where it went. So I think we're coming to the other exciting bit, but. But even, even that, if you've done well up to now, which we have, then yes, the last bit's going to be exciting, but it's not going to be as nerve-tingling as that first day. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, like I've noticed a lot of campaigns, it's like the first 48 and the last 48 are like the, the crazy days. So like, okay, everyone who jumps on wants that day one uh, excitement, and then it's the, 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 the more cautious, you know, Okay, what stretch goals are going to be released? What what is the final product looking like? People who wait and want to see at the end, and then still back it anyway in that last forty eight. Mark, you 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 hit it for me backing games too, because like it's, I get wrapped up in some of the excitement. Like I think it was, or yeah, it was earlier this year with uh, the Frosthaven campaign specifically. Like, how far is this going to go? Well, there, there was the with that there was the question of whether it was going to be the biggest tabletop Kickstarter ever, right? And it is and it, it did it did they, end up beating it yeah they, they <laughs> i think it beat up, it like on the last day though right yeah yeah it, it, like it climbed yeah. the ranks in the last 48 hours but it was one of those exciting things to be part of and like i literally like i not even part of the campaign other than like hey my backer i had it up on my monitor in those last hours just watching the numbers tick up for them i'm going and uh another tab was open with okay what is kickstarter's most funded projects right. ever I'm like okay, it's so it's in fifth place, fourth place. How high is this thing gonna get? So, I I think that's exciting, and to hear that Dead Reckoning actually has had a good middle campaign, I'm really excited to see what you guys pull off in the last 48 hours. Then, because if it's if that was your slow period, which wasn't even that slow, what's gonna be the end? Yeah, and and you never know, right? I mean, it's that it's it's that thing. You don't know whether to be wildly optimistic because the fact that you've been great throughout the middle means you're going to have an even better end, or or whether to be cautious and say, well, maybe we picked up a bunch of people that would normally back at the end in the middle because they they liked it, and and, and it's not going to affect what we do. So you you just don't know. Um, I I I am erring on the side of being wildly optimistic at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would I would be on that side too. Um, Mostly because when I think about it, it's that last 48, rem- 48 hour reminder that everybody's going to get. I'm like, yeah. oh, right, I got to back this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think the fact that they, they've seen that so many people, you know, have um, felt that they wanted to commit already. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that it has had so many positive views, I, I, I expect that a lot of people will, will come back and look and go, hey, you know, this is, a, this, is a, this is a great game. This looks like a great game. So has there been any learning opportunities for this campaign that uh, either of you or AEG as a whole are going to take towards uh, the future, the next campaign that they run? I think there's, I think there's always learning opportunities. I, I think it's really interesting to find out how people value different things that you reveal. Or, or, or even if you are running stretch goals, it's, it's always fascinating to to try and understand what people like as stretch goals or reveals and what people don't like. And, and of course, it's not universal either <clears throat> because you will get somebody saying, oh, I really like this stretch goal and somebody else saying, oh, well, I was hoping for this. Um, and so <clears throat> I, I think different people want different things. But I, I think, I mean, obviously we will, uh, we will, 
we will go back and look at the at this campaign in more detail after it's finished and, and look at the you know the daily reveal idea and, and you know see what we think about that you know you only get you only get better in business by by having a look at the things that you've done and assessing whether they were a success whether they were not a success and and how you how you improve on that i think you know somebody famous once said was it success is the ability to go from one failure to the next without losing momentum or, or something like that right without without losing heart I, I i think i think you always go back and look and say this was great this worked well hey we could do it better this didn't work well but but at, at this point is is not the time to do that i think i think you do that after you've taken a deep breath a few weeks after the campaign and look back so i'm sure there will be i'm sure there will be learning opportunities in this campaign but i I think this is this is certainly one of the most successful campaigns we've ever run. So I think at the moment we're feeling very positive about it, and um, and and yes, we will we will you know go back and look at all of the comments and and sit down sit down you know all the folk at AG and I'm sure you know John and 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 all of us will sit down to to talk about you know what we feel we achieved and, and where we feel we can get better. I prefer the daily reveal approach to the sort of pseudo stretch goal approach where it's stuff that you really intend to include adding it as stretch goals but the intent was to include it anyway um, i prefer the daily reveal approach as we were always planning on including this it's just more straightforward i think the if there's anything lesson learned in terms of doing the daily reveal approach again is maybe messaging it better i think a lot of people have an expectation that it's going to work like stretch goals sort of I think I think a lot of people came, saw the daily discovery and had an assumption that it would be something not entirely different than what it was, but somewhat different. Um, so I think the messaging around that could um, be better in the future to make it more clear that we basically have a finished product that we want, that, that we're going to make. Um, and what we're doing in the daily discovery is we're highlighting content in a way that sort of features different st stuff in the game to people as we go rather than sort of the stretch goal language, which is when we hit this dollar amount, we'll add this new thing. Like it's, it was already gonna be part of the game, but now we just wanna tell you about it, these cool different things as we go through the campaign. I think that sort of language, uh, hopefully we can do a better job of uh, clarifying that for backers right off the bat so they don't get later down in, uh, in the campaign and find that that's not meeting what their expectation was at the beginning. Would you say that's fair, Mark? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, as I say, I, I am a fan of, you know, this is the game we were we were planning to give you, and we're we're going to reveal different aspects of that. I mean, certainly, I, it's less true now, probably, but the early days of Kickstarter were littered with people who sort of, not not people, but but uh, content creators who, who who sort of kind of almost nickel and dime themselves out of being able to make the product because because there's more. As they became more successful, they were literally adding stuff, and we got to a point where they went, "Well, hang on a minute, we've added so much stuff now that we we can't afford to make this product." And and, and littered is probably the wrong word, but but there were certainly examples of that, and there, there certainly have been examples historically of, of Kickstarters that have have found that they're overcommitted. And so I think it's much I I, I would much rather be working with a company that I believe has got it all planned out, and that I know that they can deliver the product that they're talking about, and I. I, I, I'm not against stretch goals per se. Um, I, I, I think that's fine. Um, but, but you know, I, I certainly want to believe that they're planned and, and laid out. And so I think the messaging around the daily reveal and, and what we're trying to achieve is, is certainly something, you know, we want to make sure that people understand. 
it's a new thing, and I've seen a couple campaigns do it already, but yeah, most people, you, the, the setting the expectations is going to be the new, you know, the new thing that you had to figure yeah. out, so I personally like it, too, because it's like, okay, I know I'm going to get everything, it's just, okay, now we're discovering we're adding this, we're discovering, oh, that's yeah. going to be part of the game, now I'm getting more excited. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a, it's, it's sort of in between that, you know, here's everything at the start. This is it. There's, there's not going to be anything. And now, I mean, you can probably do that if you're Frosthaven, you know, because, because Gloomhaven is so well known that people are just going to go, okay, yeah, there it is. Bang. Right. I, 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 I sort of, I, I know this is going to be awesome. <laughs> you know, yeah. here we go. I'm signing up, right? And, and I think there's, I think there's some campaigns that can do that, and I think that's great if you, if you can do that. But, but, you know, Dead Reckoning is obviously a, a, a new product. And so I think we wanted to take that opportunity to try and create a bit of excitement and a bit more understanding about the way the game worked and what was involved in it and how it played and so on. So I, I, I and I think for a new campaign, that's important. And then, I'm, I, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that there are some campaigns where, you know, you, you can genuinely say, if we reach this number, we could add this or could add that. I feel, yeah, yeah it, it keeps you engaged longer too. It yeah. keeps you going back and checking instead of just pledging and then forgetting about it until it shows up on your door. You're, you're constantly getting more reminders of how great the game is going to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you want people excited throughout your Kickstarter, right? You want people to feel like that, uh, that they are engaged in something, uh, not, not just that, you know, they, they put their money down and, and that's it. They're done. I, I mean, you know, people who, who, happy to do that it's not like they, they lose anything by having the daily reels right so so we, we've talked a couple times earlier and teasing it that this is we're at the the final stretch days of the campaign for you guys um, so ricky you've got the final question here if someone misses this uh this kickstarter what options will they have um so they don't miss out on on dead reckoning none they'll never have a chance again yeah don't miss out, <laughs> no. don't miss out. answer that question yeah. <laughs> Done. Yeah, yeah done. I, I, I'm guessing there'll be some opportunity for late backing, but we have not announced any final decision on what we do after this Kickstarter campaign. So I think a, a reasonable expectation would be another Kickstarter in the future, which is what uh, we did with Edge of Darkness and with Thunderstone, right? Um, or, right. or AEG did with, with Thunderstone. That's a reasonable expectation and what we would hope to do, I think. Um, when that would happen, I don't know. So yeah. maybe Dead Reckoning to the expansioning. That's right. Where, where you can <laughs> potentially get the core game uh, as part of that. You guys ran Edge of Darkness and that was a great yeah. idea. Yeah, and we did that with Thunderstone Quest too. So, so I mean, I, I think that would be on the agenda. I, I you know, I, I've just been careful in saying we haven't confirmed, we have not confirmed anything yet. Yeah. So, um, so the best thing to do is not miss out. Yeah, miss out. And it's and it's not that there's no retail plan, but it's a very limited retail plan. Um, yes. And and it's um, as I understand, it's it's brick and mortar only retail plan. There, there is a there is a limit. <clears throat> There is a plan at the moment to have some limited stock in brick and mortar, some brick and mortar stores, not all. So what you're saying is uh, get, jump on the campaign. If you happen to miss the campaign, pester your uh, local friendly gaming store to make sure they try to get a copy. Yes. Yeah, it's not, it's not going through normal distribution channels. Um, it's 
AEG determined it's too expensive to manufacture and try to sell through distribution and, and still make money on it. So it's more, I think it, I think the retailers who get it have to go direct through AEG. All right. Well, and that's uh, a tip for our uh, retailers who listen to us as well. Talk to AEG. You might have to do a direct order, but hey, you might be able to get it. A last uh, for, for both you, and uh, John, and Mark. If there's anything you guys want to pitch at the end here, people to follow the campaign, like, subscribe. Well, uh, certainly, I would say, yeah, go ahead, go to the <laughs> go ahead to the Kickstarter page for Dead Reckoning, and uh, you know, jump on the campaign. I mean, I, I, I don't know. The whole thing feels like we've 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 given you a bunch of good reasons why why. Uh, yeah, if, if they get to now and they don't want to go to the Kickstarter page, there's nothing yeah, no, more we can say. I don't think there's much more we can say really at this point, right? <laughs> uh, John and I obviously both love the game, and uh, we've had a lot of fun working together on it and uh, working with Ian and, and you know, uh, Stephanie and all the other creative people that have been involved in uh, in this campaign. Think very highly of it, so. Other things to look out from us in the near future would be Monsters and Meeples. Meeples and, um, meeples and Monsters? Or is yeah, it Monsters and Meeples? Meeples and Meeples Monsters, yeah. Okay. That one um, is, a, is the next, uh, I think, uh, one that Mark worked on a lot uh, that's yep. coming out from AG. And then my next one coming out from also AG is uh, Cubitos. So those are things Which to look you, out for from us. Cubitos is a ton of fun. And, and obviously, in terms of AG's general releases... Um, Mar- Mariposas, yeah. Which, which I think people are probably familiar with. If, if they're not familiar with Mariposas by now, I'd be very surprised, but that's, as I mentioned earlier, by Elizabeth Hargrave, the design of Wingspan. So we're very excited about that and the, the story of the migration of the monarch butterfly through eastern north america good game beautiful looking game yeah and the only other thing that i've seen that uh, aeg's doing they're still doing their uh tiny town streaming right yeah yeah the tiny towns at noon and and actually we've been doing one of john's games as well on a on a friday uh there's been space base uh, a sort of community play along space base which which uh, again luke peter schmidt managed to come up with a sort of system where you could play play with everybody online but yes tiny towns at noon i'm trying to remember how many have been done now i think it's i think we did i think it was the 75th game was done re- recently yes. i don't play in all of them uh, I pl- i've played in a lot of them john's obviously played in some of them we've we've, we've done a few but i i think i think ag is getting close to to doing its hundredth its hundredth tiny towns at noon i want to say sometime yeah it'll be sometime in august yeah, the, yeah, it was a, it was really recently. It was the seventy fifth uh, uh, tweet wow. that came out, and I was I was like, oh wow, it's already been seventy five. But then again, uh, in this whole lockdown mode that we're in, time doesn't mean anything. So that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 been it's been a lot of fun. It's it's a great way to connect with other people, um, you know, and the staff of AEG, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, you, you know, everybody's working from home, right? Um, but it's it's a great opportunity to just connect with people who want to play games, and the the the, the number of people in the stream, uh, you know, gradually increased over time, and, and I I believe continues to increase. But but in addition to that, you know, there's a lot of suggestion that people are going back and playing along later. If they can't play live, they they just go on and click on the stream and then play along in their own time, right? That's the, that's the beauty. Tiny Towns is such a good game for for, for that kind of for that kind of uh, stream, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody can play. 
Everybody can play. We could we could literally have ten thousand people playing tiny towns at the same time. That's insane. It, I, I, and it, it wouldn't change anything. So it, it, it's fantastic for, for that uh, for that thing of, of people playing along. Maybe we should try and do, maybe we should set some sort of record and try and see if we get ten thousand people playing. Tiny yeah. <laughs> look look at the uh, Guinness World Records of. Uh... How largest many, board game ever played. Like, largest uh, largest player count board game ever played, and see if you guys can. Yeah, right. Target I mean, it. Yeah, that would be that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, John and Mark, I appreciate both of you uh, stepping out for some time today with us, talking with us, uh, and telling us all about Dead Reckoning. So, again, thank you for your time and energy today. Thank, thank you, you guys. Yeah, appreciate it. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed listening to John and Mark talk about Dead Reckoning which is an exciting 4X adventure, pirate-themed and card-crafting mechanic-powered. Check out their campaign. And as always, thank you for listening to Tabletop Arcanum. You can find us at Twitter at a Tabletop Arcanum, Instagram at Tabletop Arcanum, Facebook at Tabletop Arcanum, or write us at tabletoparcanum at gmail.com. As always, we appreciate you listening and happy gaming. You've been listening to Tabletop Arcanum, hosted by Justin Taylor and Richard Geese, and featuring the original music by Paul Moore and Isaac Gilbert. You can follow us on most social media platforms. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks for listening.